What's up, y'all? It's Will here at Schedulefly. So, this was an, well, I'll call it an unintended episode. Um, it's a phone conversation, and it's a phone conversation where I'm mostly listening until I, the end. <clears throat> and I had a few thoughts to add, but this is Chris Dickerson, who's in Savannah, Georgia. He's been on the podcast several times. Uh, he was in our second book. Super smart guy, super great guy, uh, always willing to help other folks. And we had a chance to connect him with Jason Cervantes, who uh, has been in the business for many years, has been very successful in hospitality. He's on the other side of the country. He's in Los Angeles, and he is um, in the process of launching his first concept, his first place that he's owned and started himself. And he had emailed uh, me with some questions about a book called E-Myth that Chris brought up on one of his episodes. And, well, what happened is we decided to have a call. And I just like to be on these calls. I like to connect people, but I like to be on the calls, too, just to listen and learn. And these two had a very meaningful conversation. I highly recommend listening to this. If you're interested in owning a restaurant, getting into the business, wanting to hear what's kind of going on right now in the industry. Uh, there's just so much good stuff in here, y'all. So uh, whatever your level of experience is in, in the business, I'd recommend checking this out. This is a cool conversation. Really enjoyed having the opportunity to participate in it. And well, I'll leave it with that. We'll let these guys take it from here. So Chris Dickerson, Jason Cervantes, and uh, here we go. Hey, good, good thanks. Uh, thanks for asking. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Good. How about you? Uh, excellent. Thank you. Well, hey, guys, uh, listen, I, I'm going to, um, I'll just, you know, I'm going to let you guys kind of wrap. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm just here to listen and learn. Um, so, but, you know, Jason, you, uh, this all happened because of the, you know, the e-myth and, uh, Chris is certainly very dialed into that and knows a lot about it. And you're out there in um, California starting this concept. And Chris is just somebody I admire very much. Uh, I, I feel like he's as sharp as anybody I know in the industry with really understanding how, not just how to operate a business uh, in this industry successfully, but also what's you know sort of big picture, what's happening in the industry, what trends are going on, uh, and just really has an eye for the micro and the macro, if you will. So I thought he might, would be, you know, potentially a really good resource for you. But uh, why don't you, um, you want to just kind of briefly summarize where you are and what your, you know, quick background and what concept you're working on. Would that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you guys can hear me okay, right? Yes. Perfect. Yes. Um, first off, of course, thank you both so much. Um, it's so cool to, uh, you know, I was listening to the podcast, uh, trying to get some notes together and, and, uh, and soak it up again. And it's so cool to now be on a call, like be listening to you guys on the podcast and then now get to talk to you both is, uh, really exciting. So, and I know everybody's, um, you know, busy and especially with everything going on, uh, times are tough. So time is even more valuable. So I really do, uh, uh deeply appreciate you both, um, for doing this. And, um, 
And, and of course, congrats to both you guys uh, on, on, uh, on where you're at in your careers. I know it takes, uh, takes a lot of hard work and um, it appears to, you know, be paying off for you guys. So uh, I respect that and congrats to you both um, on, on that. And um, yeah, I, uh, um, I could ask, I've always been a big questions guy and I could talk about this stuff all day. So um, I, I was going to try and keep it uh, relatively focused. Um, uh, around the book and stuff and how that plays out uh, in, in where I'm at. Um, but uh, as I was, you know, taking notes and stuff, there's, of course, other things um, that might deviate from that a little bit. Um, but so, yeah, I, uh, I'm in L.A., um, born and raised, and um, I grew up in restaurants. Uh, my family had a little mom and pop Mexican place, uh, and um, I got involved when I was really young, I'd work on the weekends and, uh, loved it. Um, um, loved the energy of the dining room and the music and the, and the self food and the laughter and the memories and all that stuff. And, um, I, I stepped away uh, during high school and, um, to focus on school and sports. And then after high school, got right back into it, waiting tables. Um, um, and then when I, I'm 40, now, um, when I was 30, I went back to school and got a degree in uh, hotel restaurant management and started managing at a nice um, big place in Manhattan Beach here uh, when I was 33. And then uh, fast forward to now, I uh, because I had so much experience in the business and I was aggressive and, and um, <clears throat> you know, asked the right questions and stuff and and uh, and you know, I guess, please the right people. I was able to move up pretty quickly. So I was a manager for a year, then an AGM for a year, and then a GM of a $6 million spot um, uh, for a couple of years, and then a director uh, most recently at a, a Hilton here in uh, Long Beach. And then, um, of course, the pandemic turned everything upside down and uh, found myself furloughed. And then they, uh, unfortunately, it's $24 million uh, hotel that had a management team of about mm, 35 and now there's only five managers left. And I was one of the, the kind of higher level managers that was cut. And um, the, uh, I had always said over the years that I, I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't open my own restaurant just cause um, I just, I wouldn't do it. I've seen, I've never considered myself really an entrepreneur um and even though I've, i always do great in sales and customer service and stuff um but i would never put myself through it um unless something kind of naturally came about that i felt i could get behind and would um fill a gap kind of in the community and um and that there might be a market for so my girlfriend is a nutritionist and um from spending time with her and the and the people that she sees and helps uh, you know, we find that um, the benefit in being mindful of what we put in our bodies and how that can affect us, uh, um, you know, long term and stuff. And and obviously the immediate uh, benefits of eating cleaner. And we find that it's hard to um, find a place if you if you're in a pinch time wise or you don't feel like cooking or something. It's, it's hard to find a spot that will make you uh, a meal that's that's quick that's clean and delicious. And we 
I just started thinking about it and how we could make that look. And, you know, vegan cuisine, it's kind of, there's more and more, there's a market for it. And, um, that's kind of where it started. So, uh, um, I, you know, I eat out a lot, we eat out a lot and, uh, um, I started paying closer attention to, to what people are doing and what's working and, and, uh, um, and that, and that, so that's where we're at. Um, there's, there, there's nothing really, what I'm thinking about is a small, like an 800 square feet, thousand square foot spot. Um, uh, mostly takeout, um, few tables inside, you know, uh, obviously some t- uh, tables outside are a uh, big plus now and, um, and just salads, bowls, and wraps, um, a, a nice, clean, uh, easy menu, 12 items, um, uh, I'm uh, fortunately working with a, uh, uh, was fortunate to have a conversation with a chef in, uh, in one of the hottest spots here in, in West Hollywood and he's on board and he's going to, uh, develop, uh, our menu, um, and kind of help me with the systems for the back of the house. And, um, um, and that's, that's kind of where we're at. And, and so there's, a an organization here, um, through one of the junior colleges it's called the small business development center and i've been lucky to have uh, a consultant through that um that's free and uh he's kind of guided me through every step of the way and uh and because i've been a manager and and a director and stuff and in some cool busy parts of town i have a, a nice little um uh like team uh of of people in different levels of the business that i can if I have questions, I can uh, rely on to help me kind of fill in the gaps. So, um, for the for the business plan, um, I I really at this point just need like a rendering of the design of, of how I want it to look, and then I'm going to take that and and sell the idea. And um, I picture I need uh, when I crunch all the numbers and the equipment and um, and rent and uh, um, all the things that. Think at this point that I'm going to need. Uh, it looks like I'll be able to get it going for 150,000, and then um, uh, and then have. I was going to raise another hundred thousand to have in the bank uh, to hold me over in case things are um, tough at first. And um, and I have about half of that so far, which I'm excited about. And um, and I think that covers everything so far uh, where I'm at. Um, so yeah, so um. You know, I listen to the podcast and uh, a huge fan and I know you guys talked about the emails and so I jumped on it and, you know, I took all these notes. There's all these scribblings in the, in the, in the, in the, in the pages of the book, but it covers a lot. So, and I know uh, the value of having the, the systems in place um, and I wanted to speak with somebody who actually used the book and, and was able to apply it um, and like pretty much that's it. Uh, um any questions for me on where I'm at? No, I mean, it's that I understand the trajectory quite well. Cool. And congrats um, on, on pulling the trigger and doing your own thing. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, but like I said, I'm 40 is my first go. So I, you know, I wonder about my entrepreneurial spirit and, uh, if, if I'm up against it kind of in that sense, um, uh, so at some point I wanted to kind of touch on that for a few seconds if we could, but, um, as far as the book and the systems, um, um, like what, without having a space yet, um, 
and without having all the money. And I, you know, I don't know as far as exactly the functionality of, of how it's going to look. Are, are there things that I can start building now when we talk about systems? Uh, well, I would say that's really, you got to start with, a lot of people start with a menu before they even have the space and the space design. I don't think that's the right approach. I think, I think a lot of it's just based upon your limitations. For example, the menu I would do in a 150 square foot food truck is totally different than the menu I do in a 600 square foot space. That's totally okay. different than what I would do in a 1200 square foot space. Um, the, the one kind of overarching point that I would say, and this is, I'm a big fan of Ray Dalio's. I don't know if you know who he is. I know you probably do well. But uh, he, one of his tenets is you have to be radically open-minded. And I think that's especially true with being a restaurateur. A lot, I have tons of friends all over the country who own restaurants, many of whom are quite well-known. And <clears throat> many did not navigate COVID well at all. And I think the common denominator, and this isn't the case with everybody, but the common denominator is stubbornness in my opinion. And that you know, probably upset some people that I'm saying that, but it's, but what, what I'm really getting at is the importance of being radically open-minded. The, the, the menu that a restaurant should have during COVID is totally different than the menu they would have had before or should have had before COVID. You know, for example, people are much more likely to order takeout want delivery. So therefore the food has to travel well. So right. I don't think someone wants to buy a you know, steak tartare. And a lot of people just didn't change their menu. They just wanted to go back to the old days. And it's, it's, I don't think it's going back anytime soon. Right. So right, and that, that also applies, especially applies to opening a restaurant. It's, you can only speculate to a certain, you can only test so much before you open. <laughs> you, you can only speculate to a certain degree as to what people are really willing to pay there is a huge difference between what people say they want and what they actually buy. And you, what you have to listen to is what they buy. We get I'm in a totally different We have two restaurants now, uh, in a basically a soon to be permanently parked food truck. But, uh, in both cases, we've had to optimize prices and people, if you ask people, Oh, would you pay $5 for a taco? They'll say yes. But when it actually comes down to paying it, there's, often price sensitivity that you never could have anticipated. So you have to, you have to be able to adjust immediately. <clears throat> There's a restaurant in Savannah that I know of and I like, I'm not going to mention the name and I think they do a good job. However, they're perceived as expensive and ultimately that's the subject of reality. The subject of reality overcomes the object of reality, right. but they, they keep seeming to want to wait for the market to turn around for people to get it. And if you constantly think your customer is an idiot, then ultimately you're an idiot. I mean, right. you've got to, you've got to, you can't just say your customer's dumb. They're, people are dumb. They'll get it eventually. If they're not getting it, you've got to change. And sometimes that's small tweaks. For example, my, we have, I own a fusion taco place and I too, Jason, very much like clean food. I used to work for Nobu and I learned, it was at Nobu that I learned about clean food, but we do, we have uh, uh, slow food, self approval. Uh, we do fresh corn tortillas every day, et cetera, et cetera. There's nothing like it in the area. We're the only Mexican restaurant within roughly 500 miles to have earned the slow food sale of approval. Yet people still think $5 is too expensive. So we dropped the price of our most expensive taco, which is a sour cherry tenor and asada, 
from five dollars to four ninety five to four dollars ninety five cents. So it's only a nickel, but it's the complaints went down drastically. That wow. makes no sense to me. It makes no logical sense. But yeah. that's the subject of reality, and yeah. and that's what people's that's what people's people vote with their dollars, at least in a business. And you have to you have to listen to what they're voting for. There's conversely, we get tons of requests for gluten-free and vegan things. And when we started out, we were a food truck back in 2011. We would get multiple calls before an event. Oh, are you guys going to have anything vegan, anything gluten-free? Because of the number of calls, you know, no, no one calls and says you're going to have meat or you're going to have you know fish. But because of the number of calls, we were like, oh, sure, we'll bring some vegan gluten-free stuff. We often would sell zero vegan gluten-free. So people, <laughs> one thing to take into account too, many people who are vegan gluten-free are particularly vocal and they, and there's a, a certain amount of wanting there to be more of those things available, but the, they weren't buying it. They were asking for it, not buying it. So you have to, you have to tune out the noise, so to speak. You're, you're going to get people asking you for something that it seems somewhat outrageous, but they're so passionate about it. You think that it makes sense to have, but in the end it, it, it might not. And when you uh, talk about whether it's too large of with that, oh, uh, um, I was going to ask when you talk about uh, um, you know how people responded to the um, to from the five dollars to the four ninety five, the way I was going to uh, approach like engineering uh, the menu and and uh, and price point and all that is pretty much like by comparison by what other people in in my area and in that market are doing. And and try and, and match that, and then work backwards and make sure that that my my everything works on the P and L. That should be like a sound approach, right? In my case, uh, no, in theory, but in practice, no. Here's why: there's so many microdynamics in the marketplace. One block can make a big difference. Your pricing can make a big difference. If your space is small and doesn't have many seats, i.e. your takeout, mostly takeout, like you said you would be, there are yeah. differences there. So I don't think that's a, I, what you do. You use your best guess. You put it out there, and then you optimize quickly. For example, when my wood-fired pizza place opened in Savannah, we started with a base price for basically a – we call it a margarita because that's my sister's name, but it's basically a margarita – we use organic Bianca Napoli tomatoes. We have a pecan-fired oven. It's a Pavesi, which is the top of the line, most badass wood-burning oven. You know, I can go on, make pull on a mozzarella. You have tons of local, it's just really good quality stuff. Twelve ninety-five objectively for an eleven-inch pizza is, is cheap. Mm-hmm. However, people in that marketplace—it's also an up-and-coming. It's a really hit neighborhood now, but when we first opened, it was you know still up-and-coming. People in that market—it tends to be more locals than tourists, people in that market thought that it was too expensive based upon their purchasing behaviors. We immediately, within like three weeks, dropped it to 1095. That's the right price. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, but, it, but that's the right price. So you have to be able to move quickly. And then when you did that, so you dropped that, the price, do you, when you, so you dropped the price, um, you know, you reacted uh, to what was happening. Did you um, uh, look at how to, to make the pizza um, uh, more cheaply um, no. so that it made sense? We gave ourselves okay. a margin of safety. No, no, no. We gave ourselves a margin of safety. There's a certain amount. In the end, in the end, you can't take percentages to the bank. You know, it's, so I'd rather have you know, 75% of something than 100% of nothing. 
So right. we our food cost is still still low. We had we've had to be we've had to be more creative and careful. Like for example, <clears throat> all of our pizzas used to come with with uh, fresh you know, house pulled mozzarella. So we buy the curd, we pull it. And now what we've done is we've our food cost has been about twenty six percent, which you know most people would say is good. But for pizza place, I'd like to get it closer to twenty. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done is now people have the choice. We, so we, there was a two-pronged approach, just listening, being radically open-minded. I've, I've read thousands of reviews about my restaurants, and I don't ever take them personally. Right? So mm-hmm. It's all data. It's free data. I digest it and you know, make changes if need be or, or reinforce why we do what we do, you know, if, if, if appropriate. But right. it, it leaves my mind. But the uh, – so, in, in, we're in the South, you know, people are used to a lot of cheese. We were the first wood-fired pizza place to have opened in town. So it's still, <clears throat> excuse me, people getting used to it. So now people have, we sometimes get people who said it's not enough cheese. You know, people are used to uh, Papa John's or Domino's, whatever, the whole pizza's covered with cheese. Artisanal, or this is probably a strange thing for you being in LA. Um, it's, Whereas where artisanal pizza is much more ubiquitous, but here it's not. So what what we now do is give our guests the choice between really good quality grande whole milk mozzarella shredded or fresh mozz. We don't charge any extra for fresh mozz, but we get about over 50% now request the shredded, which costs us less, but their perceived value is actually higher. So we've had to be creative in ways like that, but, but, um, it's uh, it just you have to be radically open-minded, and, and if people yeah. say it's expensive, even though it's not, objectively, you have to respond to that subjective reality quickly. Right. And and yeah. there's the restaurant I was referring to earlier in Savannah. They've they didn't make any changes for like a year and a half. They just made some changes, but I think it's too late. And and one of the reasons I don't go now, I like the food, but no one's ever there. So it's you know, there's no energy. So it's you can lose. It's like a run on a bank. If you lose that energy and that vibe you get tainted and it's really hard to get that back yeah and in order yeah, to get it back a lot of them you end up having a discount and then you attract a totally different clientele right you said uh in the uh, <coughs> in the podcast that um you haven't been this is at the time i don't know if it's changed uh since then but at the time you hadn't been to corner taco in two years because good systems um can you yeah. can you tell me how like how you set that up uh so that you're able to well, step away and, and have it run well, ultimately, I think lifestyle is engineered. It doesn't just happen. And so I've, I moved to Savannah about uh, almost four years ago to help raise my then newborn son. And it just wasn't an option for me to, to still be there to, in, in Jacksonville. I'd already right. made moves a step away. And tr- truthfully, there's, there's always room. Like we, I would say we have a, the architecture of good systems, but they're still not as dialed in as they will ultimately be i have a relatively new director of operations who runs both the restaurants and soon to the the soon to be food truck project and he's amazing amazing he was a regional for for longhorn steakhouse and he's a real dynamo so he's basically helping to take us to the next level and and basically formalize those systems you know a lot of like for example a lot of recipes i'd say recipes are pretty decent but they're you know they're written in a book and they're hand they're penciled in notes next to it. So 
you know, our, our systems, I would say the architecture system is really strong. There's always room for improvement. I don't, and, and you know, we're so we're at that point taking the next level, but here's an example. And this is not something I was taught. This is just something I figured out on my own. And I think mm-hmm. have that kind of a, the spirit is what's the most important thing. The spirit, but what I'm, the spirit, it's most important that I convey the spirit about what I'm talking about <clears throat> rather than the, the you know, specifics. But we use 1% salt relative to weight for everything. For, and, and so in other words, for every, every 16 ounces of, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> fish, chicken, or beef, we use 0.16 ounces of salt and it just works. That takes the, the seasoning inconsistency out of the equation. Uh, we do things like, and so you, you leverage that mindset. We, for a guacamole, we use 13% guacamole dressing relative to avocado pulp. I didn't learn this anywhere, just figure it out. So, so we make a master, we make master batches of things, our spice blends. We don't just wait. It doesn't make sense to like, you know, if you're making the same thing every day, why wait out every day? We make one five pound batch of you know, spice blend for like our carnitas, our brisket. And then every day that we use it, we just take the, you know, the, the specific weight out of that pre-made blend. But our guac dressing is comprised of the things that are less perishable. For example, we we puree jalapeno, lime juice, salt, and shallot, and that'll last us easily five days. We probably use it up in about three. So we make a master batch, a mother batch, if you will, of that, keep in the fridge. And every morning we weigh out the avocado pulp, and because if you've got a thousand grams, if you've got a thousand grams of avocado pulp, we use 130 grams of that guac dressing. Uh, and that evolved out of in, initially my recipe was less tight. For example, I would say for every 24 avocados used, you know, 13%, but one avocado is bigger than the other, the seeds bigger than the other. So it was, it was inconsistent. So then we right. had to refine it more. And so it's that, that, that's the kind of mindset it takes to have systems. And it's like I said, it's not the technical details so much. It's just, it's thinking of a way to standardize things and also moving as much as it's possible towards zero defects. Like sometimes, sometimes we have, if, if, if the wrong thing happens, like ultimately one of my main roles is to make it easy to do the right thing, harder to do right. the wrong thing. And right. the wrong thing keeps happening. It's my fault. It's not right. my staff's fault. It's my fault. So, and so I and, need to and, make it harder to do the wrong thing. And, and by, to, in order to do that, what I'm, uh, the way I'm trying to approach it and, and correct me if I'm wrong, like you have to have, for, for uh, you know, every um, part of the business, you have to have these things like literally in some kind of binder with some kind of laminated checklist that people are like make, making sure they look at and, and following uh, uh, to make sure that, that, that you're leaving all the guesswork out of it and that things are tight, right? Like is, is, it, is, that, the, is that something that I'm, I'm going to, um, if I want to do it correctly, I have to like, like literally create these like just – checklist pretty much and 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 right or, or no well you a lot of you can get online i i'm a i joined restaurantowner.com years ago i think it's mm-hmm. like 18 dollars a month and they've got a lot of templates already made it doesn't like there's a lot of the stuff doesn't need to be cut from whole cloth like a you know that's a, uh, a checklist is mostly checklists are, are derivatives of the same checklist every restaurant uses so I would get right. templates to the maximum extent possible. I mean, you can usually Google it and just get a template. 
but uh, I, mean, I, I do think ultimately my godfather told me this and I think it's very true. You don't get what you expect. You get what you inspect. And I, and I know you've had, you have a lot of management experience, but it's sometimes shocking when people do something that's so blatantly not the right thing to do, but they still do it. So I think things need to be constantly inspected. We've got a lot of redundant. We've added layers of redundancy. Like for example, video camera, I have an assistant who looks at video cameras every day, a, a, a virtual assistant. I've never met her. Her name's Danielle, but she, she does a great job. She helps me. Like I, I try to focus on my core competency, which is really dwelling on the future and the vision, not the day to day. So all that other stuff I outsource to the maximum extent possible. Uh, so video cameras, we have uh, something that's actually one of the best things we do, and I strongly recommend it. Mystery shoppers. I never yep. know when they're coming, but it, but it's much more because it, in an independent restaurant, especially with your size, one of the big challenges is coming from your background. You're you're used to having differentiated management. There's it's gonna this is you're probably going to be doing all the stuff that you used to delegate to assistant managers or, you know, shift supervisors. You, you, you might not have a shift supervisor. When Corner Taco first opened, I was there a hundred hours a week and I was right. doing the payroll. I was doing, I was working every single shift. I was doing everything. And that wasn't a good way to run a business. There's no way one person can do everything. So it wasn't in, until I started outsourcing as much as I thought. Now I basically, anything that comes across my desk, so to speak, I try to outsource it. And it's not out of, I'm not at all lazy. It's not laziness. It's just, I want to dwell within my core competency as much right. as and possible. Then, and then, and then, so, and then, so uh, um, before I forget the question on exactly that, um, in order, like when I first opened, I'm not going to, uh, is, is it the case, the, the way I envision it is that um, as much as I would want to focus on, on, like you're saying, the core, comp core competency, um, is, am I correct that I'm going to have, because I'm, I don't know yet if I'm going to be making money to be able to like outsource that stuff. So um, it, it, I'm prepared to like be there the hundred hours a week. And then as hopefully, you know, I do things correctly, word of mouth gets out, food's great, service is great. And then, and, and I start to, um, to get some revenue, then I can little by little start to outsource these things. Right. Or do you think if, if I, no, if I'm smart about it, that, 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 that well, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Uh, oh, just like if I'm smart about mm -hmm. it, will I be able to start to like um, delegate the, these things even like before I, uh, uh, from the moment I open? Well, this is exactly the intersection between like, we, you know, the, just where the e-myth comes into play. Like, the, right. the, like you right. start with the end in mind and, and it's the, the, the best thing I did at my wood fire pizza place is I never baked myself into the equation. I've never worked a shift there. I don't have a login to the point of sale. I don't want one. It was tough in the beginning because this, I mean, there's always, there are always serious growing pains, particularly with it when you're starting a brand, it's totally different than, you know, running a place that somebody else built. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, that, that's much more plug and play. I mean, there's, it's just, it's like a child. You got to raise, give it the, got to raise it in the best way you know how, but then it takes on a, a, a mind of its own <clears throat> and has a life of its own. But it's, it's, um, so I think you start with in of mind. I mean, it's, I had to, I would have made a lot more money if in the beginning, if I, in the short term, if I had, instead of hiring an expensive manager, if I had done it myself, but that would have baked me in the equation. When I first took a step back at corner taco, it was very hard, like from an emotional standpoint for my staff, they, it was like a, 
it was like a, a you know a parent telling their child they had to move like out, a, like like a coach or and something. It, yeah, it, yeah, it was so weird. It was like that would get these calls. Hey, can you swing by the grocery store and pick this up? It was just an emotional. It wasn't. They, they, I wasn't actually physically needed. It's just they didn't want to let me go. So and if so you were going to do it, I would never let myself. What's that? If, if you if you were going to do it all over again, uh, knowing what you know now, um, and and uh, you're opening Corner Taco, it's your first it's your first gig. You would you would approach it the way you did the the pizza spot, where you wouldn't put yourself into the yeah. equation right out of the gate. I would say so. I mean, I would. I would, I would have hired a manager from the get-go and I would have still been there. I, I think I needed to go through that once to know I never wanted to go through it again. Um, okay. But yeah, but I mean, but the, yeah, I would, I would hire a manager. I, mean, I understand that it's a lot more expensive, but it's, it's, uh, I think you have to start with the end of mind. And, and so then you so have so to. Then, that. Um, Cause when I look at my numbers, it looks like the only way that I'm going to be able to, to make a, a living, like if I want to pay back the investors and be able to pay my bills uh, uh, myself um, and to make it look attractive uh, on a PL, it, it looks like I won't be able to pay a manager and uh, like on the, on the, on the back end um, collect some of the profits to like to live, you know? So, so I work myself in as like a GM kind of um, to make it all work. Is that, am I, am I like setting it up for failure kind of, or, or, or well, not failure, but well, like, there... and, I mean, I, yeah, I get it. I, I get it. But there, I understand the calculus. Well, it's, it's, um, I mean, the one hand, I think you need to rethink your business model, then leverage your square footage. Uh, are you going to use Uber Eats or uh, delivery platforms? Um, I mean, as much as I'm not excited about paying what they cost, I like what you said on the podcast about, you know, I'd rather have 70% of something than, than nothing at all. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you gotta, I think you gotta use them, but it, the, yeah. so the investors, I mean, I'll tell you one thing too, be, this is something I learned the hard way. I'm very mm -hmm. much into asymmetrical risk and I, and I understand conceptually how to be hedged, at least in terms of opening a restaurant. And I took over a, a great space in Savannah uh, that had no, had the risk of there being some unknown was as close to zero as you can get. Meaning it was cinder block building. It was, there was no like hidden plumbing. It was no, I mean, it was just pretty much just a, a blank canvas. Uh, the landlord was working with me on some of the, some of the, like the, the water impact fees, um, he paid for the grease trap. I mean, some of the big, and the, the catch 22 with restaurants is you really can't get good estimates until you actually have the architectural drawings, the mechanical, the electrical plumbing. And those cost me about $30,000. And that was, you know, that was at a, at a discounted rate, essentially, no one's going to pay $30,000 hoping to get $150,000 loan or hoping to get investors. <clears throat> so I thought it was going to be 150 and it ended up being about 600. And it wasn't because we found any anything crazy. It was just the costs add up so quickly. And there's certain things that as a project goes along, you're like, you know what? I can do it for, you know, a thousand bucks, but if I spend three thousand, it's gonna be ten thousand ten times nicer. And there's so many decisions you're faced with like that. And then all of a sudden you see, you know, how good the space looks and 
you realize how much better it would look if you just you know did marble instead of wood countertops in the last 50 years versus 10 whatever and it's it's uh the scale it's almost endemic to the the you know, the opening a restaurant it's you can't really understand the scale until you're you're in it and right. then it's too late to turn back the only way to really hedge yourself for taco was inexpensive to open but it, i took over it was a second gen space so by doing a second gen space as long as you don't modify the floor plan you know it's we we avoided a lot of the building permits you know it was just a lot less but you can't really get good numbers till you're in it like for example I thought our pizza or would our hood to vent the pizza oven was just going to go straight to the outside wall and, you know, only cost like $3,000 because it was a short run. It turns out that the city codes, like, no, when someone gives you a ballpark, they're not looking at the nitty gritty of the city codes and everything else. I mean, that's right. a very time consuming thing. The city codes, because of the nuances of the space, it was technically a city alley that then required us to go 10 feet, away from the alley, which meant we had to go all the way to the roof. It ended up being 30, like 30,000, 35,000 instead of 3,000. And, and you do not know that until you get into it. Right. right. Um, so it, I'd be really careful. And, and, and I don't, you know, the, I don't have investors. I don't want any, it was tough. Not, I mean, it, the, the obvious drawbacks are tough because it's, it, I, don't, I don't have, you know, but I don't have big access to funding. I've got excellent credit. But you you essentially are, are locked out of unless you get the initial startup FDA loan, which is very hard to get. Um, the you're basically locked out of any bank funding for two years until you have two years of tax returns. That's just right. a, kind of across the board rule. Right. right so right. it's uh, yeah. So it's it's um, I mean it's 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 very it's 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 likely to cost a lot more than you think. It just it just is. And I didn't I didn't see originally my contractor told me that. The interior works going to be like forty grand, um, and it it was not. It was more than four hundred. Jesus. So um, all in, all in. Right, right. So then, if you if you were um, if you were me, and um, it was your first go, and you know, in my case, my business plan's almost done. I, I do have a menu. Um, uh, I've I've some of the money raised uh i have a clear picture of the vision and and uh and the space and how i want it to look um what are some things that come to mind um if you were just gonna like give me a few bullet points and like you know point me in the right direction and say go um you know knowing what you know what would be some things that you would advise me to watch out for well i mean one of the biggest is what i what are you the, saying? The one, like, be very careful with that. No, I was just um, uh, kind of echoing what you said. Like, uh, obviously, that was a big one about uh, being careful about the space I get into. Um, what else? Yeah, yeah, and well, beyond that, I stopped asking people's opinions, and it, it's just so like you get absolutely overwhelmed when you first open with data and some of it's absolutely not even useless it's negative like especially because if it's like a friend they'll leverage something they heard or they'll say for example they'll leverage something they read in a review because they're you know they, they in their mind they care about you but it's also most people have a fantasy about doing something on their own or you know being independent or really cutting the strings so to speak but they have so many reasons why they can't or won't do it like most people are not entrepreneurs they're just not so secretly it's 
I think some people want to justify why they're not risk taker takers by, by, uh, I don't snuffing out the dreams of risk takers. And so to speak, that's, I don't know how to say it any more plainly than that, but it's just a, so it's sometimes people will, they'll, they'll read something they see in a Yelp review and then convey it to you, but you've already read it. So to send, and they don't say they saw the Yelp review. They'll just say they heard, you know, you're too expensive, but they heard your portions are too small. And so it, then it ends up getting counted twice, so to speak, because you've already read mm-hmm. it and you think it's like a, it's another data point, but it's not. And then right. sometimes somebody's friend, you know, like, let's just say, for example, somebody who does some work, like your contractor or whatever, anybody that does some work, they'll have a friend who knows they did some work. The friend might think they're an investor or a partner or whatever. And so that friend says that they, oh, they really need to do this. They need more gluten-free stuff. They need more meat. They need more of this. But oftentimes it's not their perception. It's their perception of other people's perception. Perception, yeah. Which is perception of perception. So it's, it's you know, we it's just, it's convoluted. you've got to weed through that. It's convoluted. It's, it's So I don't even really, I go by the data. It's, are sales increasing? Are they, are, and, or for example, what both my restaurants on the open had, really big buzz. And so we had huge, huge crowds. We first opened, but in both cases, sales dropped after like six weeks, kind of, kind of, kind of considerably, I mean, not 50%, but let's say 20%. There's a Mm. natural drop that happens. I mean, there's, but it it was obvious to me that we weren't connecting in in the best possible way. And it was the price. It was ultimately, I think it was the price. So we dropped, I told you, we dropped it very quickly, but in both cases, we've had to, almost overcorrect. Like if we had maybe started instead of 1295, if we'd started at 1195, I don't know that we ever would have had to have dropped it, drop the price. Um, so we, if you, if you're wrong, one, you need to change quickly, but I would err on the side of, you know, just, just, just realize you're, you're, you, you, what the theory and the practice are often divergent. So make quick changes and, and give yourself a margin of safety. Um, also, I understand. I mean, it probably does make sense for you to to be there in the beginning. I mean, yes, most insurers are going to say yes, but I, I don't. I I don't run my business the way. Ultimately, the reason so, there's so much opportunity in the world is because we live in a world where things don't work the way that they should. So a lot of times, a lot of business owners, particularly restaurateurs, there's a certain amount of almost self sabotage baked into the equation. Like they want to feel like the knight in shining armor. You know, they want something gets messed up and they swoop in and fix it. It should never, if they built a machine right, the thing had never been messed up in the beginning. Uh, do right. you understand the dynamic I'm talking about? I'm sure you, the yeah. owners are, are always there. They, they tell themselves they need to be there, and they constantly reinforce that by seeing these, all these things that are wrong that other people are doing. They just think no one's as smart as them, no one's as good as them. Well, they, they, they should have preempted those things by baking themselves. So just don't bake yourself into the equation is what I'm saying. Like, don't make it Got so it. The, if 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 the owner has to be there, it's not a good business. So focus on building the business like a German car. And right, you, like, like you the, engineer uh, the German car. Like the E-Myth talks about, um, uh, like, like the, 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 the business is the business itself. It's not, it's not like the, the pizzas. It's not the tacos. It's, it's how you set it up. And, and you, you want to set it up as if it's a prototype to, to build 5,000 more. Um, yeah, exactly. So, so, so you can work on it and not in it. Um, okay. Um, 
the uh, um, so <clears throat> are there were were there were there things in that in that uh, uh, book that you made it a point to like directly extract from it and apply, or or did you just kind of have those things kind of rolling in your mind? uh, as, as you go about things and then, and then, and some things that, you know, uh, uh, might be taken from the book, but some might not. And, um, uh, or, you know, how, how directly do you actually apply those things? Indirectly. I think it's been probably 10 years. I think it's probably been 10 years since I read that book, but I, oh, okay. I read a ton of stuff. Got it. So, yeah, so yeah. it's more loosely. I mean, it's just, shaped kind of shaped my mindset and or helped shape my mindset but it's it's uh so i would say very very loosely okay cool because i was just uh i was wondering because there's so much in there I, um i was wondering if they if they if some if, you know if somebody um like actually built like an outline like a step-by-step kind of thing to to really like extract the most benefit from it um a couple questions i know i know we're getting close to an hour here uh and uh, i don't want to take up too much time when it comes down to naming uh, the spots, my, this is one of the things that my girlfriend and I, uh, we've kind of locked horns a little bit on. And um, is it, my thing is that, yeah, you want to have a, a decent name. However, it's more what you do inside those four walls that's going to kind of define the emotion that people attach to the name, Right. Or, 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 or would you say that you put a lot of thought well, into, into being careful with how you named your spots? I think it happened kind of organically. I mean, it, it's, it's, um, for example, squirrels, my, my restaurant today is called squirrels. It's not called squirrels pizza. It's called squirrels and, and squirrel was my nickname in college. Uh, but Got really it. what it is, is a, a nod to the irreverence. It, we, we're not Neapolitan. We're more like considered artisanal pizza. So we do, we cook at a lower temperature for longer, use less water. So it's crispier. It's inspired by Neapolitan, but it's crispier than Neapolitan. But the fact that it's called squirrels instead of squirrels pizza gives us latitude to do, we have, for example, lamb French dip. We have Korean buffalo wings. And also, if it were named something like Giovanni's, there'd be certain expectations. So if someone comes to squirrels and expects, you know, a typical pizza, then it's, it's on them. Now, so it helps to manage the expectations. And I also would prefer people double opt in. I can't stand when you buy something online, they make you enter your email address, and then you all of a sudden you're, and you, you deselect marketing. So you, you tell me you don't want any marketing, and then all of a sudden you get these weekly emails. Like I, I think you should, I'd much rather someone look at the menu, look at the name, and decide not to come in than come in, spend their money, and be disappointed. And that's different than a lot of businesses. Like what you say no to is as important as what you say yes to. A lot of businesses just want every single dollar that they can get. But if you, uh, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. So you got to have a long-term approach. Right. Um, but what I will say too, is that too many people spend way too much time on important, but not do or die details. Like they'll, I read a uh, article about a famous chef. She was on top chef. <laughs> she had a restaurant closed in like a few months, but she even said that she was spending, you know, hours and hours on the stationery, but wasn't as focused as she should have been on some, some other really important factors. Yeah. So yeah. you can get so bogged down and choose. And that, that's something, this, 
I used to spend more time on certain things than I do now, but like, for example, now I, I, you, you have to, you have to keep moving and, and you have to more specifically, you have, there has to movements, not progress, but you have, there has to always be progress. You can't just, you can't get stuck for a day, a whole day on the color of the plates. I mean, at the end of the day, it's the overall vibe, the overall spirit, which is a confluence of a lot of different things, including the name, but it's not, you know, it's going to be like, I love the food. I love the vibe. I hate the name. I'm not going. Right. So it's, it's, um, but the name, you know, it sets a tone, but I think it should come about organically. A guy, I wouldn't, I wouldn't name a place and then choose the location. I would let the location kind of dictate, you know, a part of what the name is, or at least influence the name. Same yeah. with the concept. I don't go into a, I, I, something I've learned. I won't, I won't just say, Oh, I want to open this kind of, I want to open a, a fried seafood place and then find a space. I'll find a space I think is attractive and think what works in that space. Got it. Makes sense. <laughs> Which also incorporates the neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Right. And then, and then, um, um probably make this last question it is how do you balance, uh, your drive for the success of, of the operations with, um, with life, like with family and with, uh, um, time to enrich your, 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 you know, reading books and stuff and, and exercise. Uh, h- how do you make it a point to, to make sure that you're uh, making time for that stuff? Well, it's simple for me because I love what I do. I am very passionate. But it doesn't ever really feel like work to me. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I make sure when I can, when I can, I try for, I, I know I'm most effective in the morning between 10 and noon and still up until let's say two, but I am not effective I don't work well at night. Some people are better at night, but I know I've gotten to know myself better. So I know when I'm not being productive and it's not urgent, like I've a lot of my things now, I've just most of oh, a lot of my daily activities are really more on an ongoing list, like things I want to research. They're not urgent. I mean, the most pressing thing I have to deal with every day is manage cash flow and just to keep the, the, the train running. And that's a beast of a job, excuse me, honestly, um, especially because I'm not, you know, I'm not. I, I've got big payrolls since I'm not running any of the places, <clears throat> but uh, outside of that, a lot of my stuff's ongoing. It's like research packaging for shipping pizza online, you know, sh- sh- for shipping pizza you know, cross country. So things like that, that don't necessarily have to be done today. And if I'm not feeling it, then I cut bait. There, there are days when I'm extremely productive. And so then I, you know, I run with it. So, um, but my goal is not, my primary goal is not money. It's excellence. And that's, that's constant improvement as a, as a person and as a restaurateur and as just a, a business owner personally and professionally. And so just keeping that goal in mind, I don't ever think, gosh, I just need to, you know, like I, I, I enjoy on Sundays. I'm not with my son. I enjoy taking my computer to a restaurant and having lunch, maybe a few glasses of wine and researching stuff. Cause I don't have, you know, a lot of times the things I want to research might take, I'm, it might require an hour or more just un- uninterrupted time. It's hard for me to get that during the week. I get so many texts, phone calls, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's, it's, um, I do, I like what I, I love what I do. So it doesn't, it doesn't, it really doesn't feel like work to me. So I, I don't ever, I don't ever necessarily need to have that divide. I, I, I know I need time to myself, but I, I let it come about organically. It, I, it's impossible for me to say, I'm going to take every Sunday morning off because sometimes something comes up and I need to handle it right away, but it doesn't really, it doesn't stress me out because it's just the, 
the, the, the way the ball bounced. And you, I just you know, always keep myself nimble. And I, it's, it's not uncommon at all that I get some major call. And I, I don't really take a vacation ever. I mean, I, I take downtime when I can take it. But if I, if I were to plan a week trip, it, I, almost undoubtedly, I'd have something important I needed to handle. So it, was, it wouldn't, it was not, as a business owner, you can't really ever turn, you can't just turn your phone off and say, right. You know, it'll handle itself. You, you can't, but right. you like what you do. That doesn't, it just doesn't feel like. Cool. Um, thanks so much for your, for your time. I, uh, like I said, I know, I know it's a tough time and uh, every minute counts. So I really appreciate, I know an hour is a big chunk of time. So, uh, I hope there's uh, somebody I can pay you back sometime. Maybe if you're in LA. And, I, mean, uh, I wish you all the best. I've, I've gotten help from so many people. So I, I like spreading it around. Yeah. And, and I can see why uh, uh, Will uh, does, does these. Uh, they're, it's enjoyable. Just ask questions and, and kind of see where the conversation goes and, and glean things uh, uh, here and there and, and take all the notes and stuff. So, uh, so I appreciate you both. Will, thanks so much. Yeah. Absolutely. Best of luck. Um, absolutely. I enjoyed that a lot, guys. That was, that was always educational. I always learn something in time. I talk to any of you all. <clears throat> the uh, things I would add real quick, Jason, are uh, yes, sir. I would say that uh, I think that you mentioned something, you know, on the lines of you're 40 now and you're, you know, this is your first entrepreneurial effort. But um, yeah. You're an entrepreneur, man. If you're out here doing this and um, spending the amount of time and energy and thought into this uh, that you are, you definitely are a full-on entrepreneur. And I think a lot of what Chris talked about, which I agree with, is just you have to be very flexible and very nimble and learn to tinker, trial and error, and just strap work and move on, you know. Well, we've had to do that so much with schedule fly over the years. And the second part I would say about that is uh, um, you guys mentioned this, but the importance of, of saying no, um, it is just massively critical. I think to a very focused, successful business. Agreed. Right. Like, it's so, it, it, it becomes hard. Like, like I, I wrote this blog post a few years ago. We don't even have a blog anymore, but um I was like, you know, we get all these suggestions for schedule file. Like, you should add this, you should add that. And, uh, you know, I did, I mean, the, the quick math was okay. If we get 10 suggestions a week, 20 suggestions a week, we add one, one a week. Well, a year later, we've added 52, let's call it, you know, two weeks off. We've added 50 new things. Five years later, we've added 250. And all of a sudden, a lot of people like schedule fly. Well, it's simple, easy, clean, does its job and gets out of the way. Well, what happens five years later? With right. two, you know, it's complicated, frustrating, you know, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's very, uh, it can be challenging to do what Chris said and just ignore people. I mean, because everybody wants to give you their opinion. Everybody has one. Everybody has advice um, to give you. And it's, it's really important, I think, to, um, Know that do it. Have that lot. Be willing to know that. Hey, Will, you're breaking up. Yeah, I just saw that. So my thing's unstable. Sorry, guy. I got a bunch of kids on 
school iPads and stuff. But, you know, the, the, I'll just close with saying that you you you, you have to to you, it's a weird dynamic, right? You have to be willing to scrap something, tinker, make adjustments, but that's got to be because you know that's right, not because other people are telling you you should do this. It's like Chris said; he looks at the data and he. He spends a lot of time on it, but he makes the decision. When he makes it, he does it and he moves on. And um, it, it can be hard to emotionally check yourself or, you know, separate yourself from your business sometimes. But that is a really, really important aspect of all this. Um, and the last totally thing agreed. is, uh, yeah, and the, the last thing is particularly um, for the type of business you guys are both in, there's a, um, there's a book it was written back in the 70s, but it's called Influence. Um, the psychology of persuasion and it's written by Robert Cialdini and he's sort of the, um, he's one of sort of the godfathers, if you will, behave human behavioral psychology. And I mean, I still read that book like once every other year to this day, but I think it's important because it helps you really understand not how to, I don't know the right way to say this because not how to manipulate people, but how to, drive people to buy what you're selling right so you know in positive ways that but it's it's uh i think understanding the the way that you can get people to know about you to come to your restaurant to want to be a part of it and you talked about this a little bit earlier jason about just it's the whole experience and part of that is the way you position it and i think influence is a good thing to uh check out. And, um, I know you said you were getting those daily stoic emails. That's a really important, you know, developing stoic, uh, thinking is can often really help with the emotional side of the business and, and separating yourself from that. And, yeah. uh, the last thing is, uh, you've probably heard me talk about it on a podcast, but I'll mention it anyway, cause I tell everybody about it. It's that three minute video on a uh, YouTube called good. And it's, uh, with Jocko Willink. Um, I watch that no less than once a month because Jacko, Jacko, uh, yeah, J O C K O. I'll email you guys the link. It's uh, he's a former Navy SEAL. He's out there in California. He does a lot of business uh, coaching now, but he's also got a podcast. But it's a three-minute segment where he's talking about a conversation he had with one of his his uh, team members about the word good and how he takes every single negative situation they have no matter what. And you're talking about guys, you know, that are in putting their lives on the line and so forth. And, uh, but he would, every single thing that was negative, his response would always be good. And he would then figure out what's, what can we leverage this negative situation for to get better or to grow? How can we turn this into a positive thing? It is so good guys. Like I tell everybody about it. I watch it once or twice a month just because I want to really, I just try to program my brain. Uh, to think that way as much as possible. And I got to tell you, it's really helped. So I'll send you all the link. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I, cool. I totally agree. With it. I like his book. What is it? Extreme Ownership? Yeah. Jocko's book is Extreme Ownership. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great book. The, uh, in, well, to your point too, like even this COVID thing, it could have been an opportunity for anyone. Like I do know, I was thinking through what I said earlier. I do know some restaurants at friends own restaurants really well regarded and there was nothing they could have done to have jump started the business because they were forced to shut down. They couldn't literally could only have, you know, 10% of their indoor seating, what depending upon the city they were in. But, but uh, there's still 
opportunities. For example, Gold Belly. We squirrels was approved to ship on Gold Belly. All of a sudden, you can expand your, you can literally export your brand. But there's always a way to make lemonade from lemons. You just got to think of it. It's ultimately a mindset. <clears throat> and the, the what you're saying too, Will, earlier made a lot of sense to me. The uh, about just sort of tuning out the noise too. It's it's uh, it's 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 so easy to get stuck in the analysis paralysis mode and and get pulled in so many different directions, but it's, and people are well-meaning, but it's, it's just, you just gotta, you just gotta do it, not talk, just do it. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. It sounds tricky tricky because, because on the one hand, um, you know, it's be flexible, be nimble, you know, uh, troubleshoot stuff uh, and and be open. But, but then at the other hand, uh, uh, you know, tuning things out, uh, you know, the static and stuff. So um, I guess, well, what I'm getting from this is that, uh, it probably starts with having a strong primary objective and, 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 uh, and know what we're going for with the vision. And then, and then as things come up, uh, you know, the reflection about, is this us, you know, like this is, this could be good advice. It could just be noise. Which one is it? Uh, is it what we're here to do? And then kind of go from there. Um, I, I know, uh, uh, when, when I first, uh, I, I learned about schedule fly from the director gig that I had at the hotel and uh, I was a hot schedules guy before. Uh, and, and uh, you know, when I, I, I jump on board and I'm like, schedule fly, what is this? You know, like, I like, I like hot schedules. And, and, uh, and uh, <clears throat> but I got used to it after a while. And then uh, um, I realized that I had the book, uh, um, uh, I think, I guess you have two books now, but I had the first one uh, the whole time. And then I, I uh, a little bit later, put two and two together that, uh, that it's your book and, and that it, it's, uh, goes hand in hand with schedule fly and uh, and then of course the podcasts are huge so uh, i'm a big uh a fan of schedule fly now and uh whatever i can do to help get the name out there um happy to do it no i appreciate that yeah just spread the word we can man it's been word of mouth all this time and i saw it ever will be so we just try to keep things simple and take care of y'all leave everything else to you know to its own um and those are important. I mean, like having those real clear pillars, which we kind of figured out early on, simple software, great customer support, and then invest back into our, you know, our community, if we will, if you will, just like restaurants do, like you guys invest in your communities so much. And we thought, well, our community is restaurants. So how do we do that? And then we do content that's meaningful. It helps people. So that was it. Yeah. Stick to that core philosophy. That That's, that's, you know, That'll get us through whatever. Um, uh, and it certainly helps become a good guiding post for every decision you might ever make. I love it. Yeah, ultimately, you have to delight You have to delight your customers. And different people can do that in different ways, but that's yeah. where the real value lies. The, uh, uh, I'm a big Danny Meyer guy, too. I uh, have the, the salt shaker yeah, on the too. cover of his book. I have it tattooed on my leg. Um, and we're, we were talking about, you know, saying no and stuff. And, and uh and if it's something that you just we, you just don't do in one of your concepts, um, and you just got to say no, uh, I'm a big believer in. Uh, uh, I'm sure you guys are too. In how you deliver that no, you know, like you can say no in some kind of cold, uh, um, you know, snooty way, or you can deliver the no in uh, in a soft kind of apologetic. You know, it's not something that we do here. Uh, however, th- these are things we can do, um, <clears throat> and work with the guests a little bit so that it, it comes off more gracefully. 
Yeah. Or, or even but, recommend someone who does it. That's that's what that's what the founder of Zappos yeah. did. He would they would they would refer they would refer customers to someone else. And to this to Will's point earlier, we had a, someone a week ago email us about uh, they wanted basically a quote for for a, some sort of wedding reception Korotako, and we've got our menu clearly posted on our website. And the person said they wanted just more, you know, basically basic tacos like ground beef and and, ch- and would we be willing to do, deliver like, she wanted something that we couldn't do and i was t- i didn't hesitate for a second in saying no there several years ago it might have been like well i guess maybe we can make that work but the chances of her being disappointed were quite high because the kind of tacos yeah. she wants aren't what we do right and it's much better to say no and not leave someone unhappy than it is to say yes get a little bit of money but then chip away at your reputation Sure. Uh, That's a lot, Jason. The the last thing I want to tell you, Jason, is uh, yes, sir. I want to clarify one thing, which is there is a uh, it's a there's a dynamic with saying no and ignoring people, but then also <laughs> making changes based on stuff. I think the the key there is Chris is talking about one of the examples he's using are the data. The data tells him the story not necessarily what in other words like the great example was the uh gluten-free products you know are you going to have gluten-free you're going to have gluten free? everybody's asking for it but data said ah, they don't want that they, you know right people don't, people don't always they don't know what they want right they, they really yeah. don't they don't know what they want they don't know what will make them happy they think they do but they don't um so that's that's the key is really keeping yeah. your eyes on the reality, not what they say. And he, I think he, he gave, Chris gave a great example too, about looking at the Yelp data and then, but then having somebody come in and say, I heard, and I heard, and you know, all of a sudden this one thing is replicated multiple times. So that's, that's, you know, that's where you want to be. And uh, the other stuff is, you know, noise or whatever you want to call it. It's just, it is what it is. And you're going to get a ton of it. You just have to, somehow you will develop a radar for knowing when you need to pay more attention. And that's a lot of this stuff and being an entrepreneur for sure is just, it's throwing your bag over the fence, man, and climbing over and just rolling and doing and learning and being like, Oh, and by the way, check that ego. Cause just like you just be, be very quick to know, like I screwed this up. I screwed that up. Boy, that was dumb. Absolutely. You know, I do that all the time to this day. Like, that was stupid. That's okay. Yeah. Fine. Just learn from it and roll. <laughs> You'll never do it again. That's right. Yep. All right, guys. Hey, this has been get awesome. Yeah. Good. Best of luck, Jason. Talk to you soon. Thanks well. so much. All right, Bye. guys. See you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you both. Later. Have a good holiday. Bye. Bye. See you. Bye.